Wow, to see Ken leading worship. Man, brings back memory. <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah, just to be here and be in this room and the way now your chair is set up again the way it was when I was here, facing this way. Last time I was here, I was facing that way. And uh, a lot of memories. And uh, see Daniel here brings memory. Daniel was visiting this church, and he was a youth here when I was preaching here. Do you remember this room? Sitting here, right? Like me preaching to you kind of thing, right? Yeah, a lot of memories. And to see you with your wife now and a daughter, wow, makes me feel really old. Thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and uh, no, what makes me feel old is it's like playing pickleball, second time. Uh, and I played in January, first, like January 1st on New Year's Day. <laughs> and after 10 minutes, I was huffing and puffing. Like, I swear I couldn't breathe. I was going to die right there on the court. <laughs> wow. I, I thought it was supposed to be an old man's game, you know? How come I have such a hard time playing that game? That's why I decided to go play, because I'm old, right, kind of thing. And I realized, no. But there are a lot of old people there, and they were really good, and they were really in shape, not like me. But yeah, thanks for, uh, let me come back. So a lot, thank you for letting this old man come and share God's word with you, okay? Uh, I am old. And uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> even though it's a kind of a short notice, but I, it just happened, right? Like, uh, so last month, there was another guy named Fred Mark. You guys remember him? Fred Mark, how many of you guys remember Fred Mark, right? So he was a pastor here. He took my place. I passed, and then Fred Mark took place, and then he left. And then so he asked me to speak at his church. And so the sermon I'm sharing with you comes from there. And the reason I'm sharing this is because he gave, he has, he assigns passages. Thank goodness, thanks for not assigning passages to me. But so Fred Mark, right, he's, you guys know him, he's like that. He assigns me a passage. He said, right, I want you to preach from this passage because they're going through the book of Romans. And that's my favorite book. Oh, great. No, anything. I could share anything in the book of Romans. No problems. And he gave me this passage, right? Romans 13, 8 to 14. <clears throat> I swear to you. When he gave me that passage, I looked at it and I like, this is not in Romans. I have never read this passage. I'm sure I read it, but I don't remember ever reading this passage in the book of Romans. Okay. And, and so I was so challenged, right? And I'm glad like, he asked me a month, against, a month ahead of time because it took me about a whole month for me to get used to this passage to the point I feel comfortable preaching on it. Okay, now, Romans is my favorite book. Like, literally, I could recite you right, most of the chapters and verses in the book of Romans. But when it came to this, it was brand new. Okay, I have a feeling for most of you in this room, is, even though you might know the book of Romans, it's going to say, wow, I never knew this exists in the book of Romans. Okay. Uh, I entitled a sermon Chinese time, and I'll explain that later. Or I, so my wife and I, right, so actually my wife, who's Caucasian, right, came up with this title. I used to title, title it Chinese time, okay? Because you guys know what Chinese time is, right? You go to a meeting, right, you better set up Chinese time. When you invite people to come to guests, Chinese time, you set an hour ahead of time because they're going to be an hour late kind of thing. So that's, that's why that means like Chinese time. I, I go, no, I think I'd rather use the word on bow time. Okay, and, and I'll explain that as well. Uh, so that's kind of more or less what I want to share with you guys. It's about uh, how we live in a time where we're running short of time kind of thing. We're already late. And uh, so, so those of you who know me and heard me speak before, you know, I speak right from the Bible. And, and so uh, I go up first by verse. And now, and this doesn't mean like this passage is so new, right? I think if, we, if I just share this passage with you without giving the context, uh, it could be easily misinterpreted, okay? And that's what happened to me when I first looked at this passage going, what does this mean? What's Paul trying to say, right? And then when I, it wasn't until I started seeing the whole context 
then I will begin to realize what Paul is trying to say. So the book of Romans, right? I don't want to go, go through the whole thing with you, right? So the key verse is, is verse 16, chapter 1, right? The just shall live by faith, okay? People who are righteous live by faith. And not only by faith, it's from faith to faith, meaning you start out with faith and you end in faith. That's what it means to live, okay, for people who are righteous. Now, book of Romans, the first eight chapters, it talks about how we as people become righteous with God. So we are the righteous people. And, uh, and then it explains, it goes through the whole chapter by chapter, this is how we became righteous, right? Uh, and then chapter 9, 10, and 11, it's more or less about then how does it apply to the nation of Jew, right? How are the Jewish people made righteous? Basically, it's the same way, right? And now we get to chapter 12, okay, in the first slide. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So now what Paul does, now that you have been justified, now that you are righteous, how do you live out your righteousness? What does it mean to live by faith? Okay? So therefore, the therefore is to everything that he has said in the first 11 chapter, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So right, now that you have heard the gospel, you have heard the first 11 chapters, but you were made righteous how? By God's mercy. Right? We don't earn our righteousness. Because of his grace and mercy, we have been made righteous. Now, based on that mercy that you have heard in the first 11 chapters, he now says this is how we should live. How do we live our righteousness? By offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, so this is our response to God's mercy. He urges us to lay down our life, right? offer our bodies a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. And the way we do that, the way we lay down our life, okay, has to do with the way we think. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the way we think, we no longer think like the way the rest of the world think. We're going to think very differently. Right? Just the idea of laying down your life is already an idea that's very different than the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world is what? How do I save my life? Right? How can I be prosperous? How can I live this right, life that, you know, that everyone was chasing after? But here Paul's saying, already thinking that, no, instead of gaining, trying to achieve everything in life, how do I lay down my life? That's already a new way of thinking, right? That's not being conforming to the world, the world's pattern, right? It's very different, okay? Now, this is important. This is now for Paul, this is the setup for everything else he's going to say from here on out to the rest, end, of, end of the book of Romans. It's about this. How do I lay down my life by not conforming to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind? So, go to the next slide, <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 3 then, picks up by saying, right, uh, so he goes to taking the two parts, right? Verse 3 to 13 is, how do we relate now to one another who are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay. Uh, so, the way we relate to each other, right, first thing he has to say is, like, we, how we lay down our life is to serve each other, Right? God has given to all, every one of us a spiritual gift. And those gifts are given to us so that we can serve one another. But the danger of that, right? See, if we think like the rest of the world, I want the best gift. Right? I want the popular gift. I want the gift that has the most power. 
right? Most popular so that people will like me, right, kind of thing. So I become important. So Paul says, don't think of yourself more than you need to, right? Don't think highly of yourself. Just because you're a certain gift, don't think you're better than someone else. So don't think that way, okay? But instead of think about how can I serve, serve to the point where I'm laying down my life for each other, right? So that's, that's right. And then he says, so we, we do it out of love. And this love that we serve one another with has to be genuine. So Paul talks about genuine love, okay? And there he talks about how we should honor, outdo each other in honoring each other. Okay, that's what genuine looks, looks like. Now, verse 14 then, he changes gear in the sense of he, the context is now different. You will notice that from verse 14 on, instead of talking about our relationship with each other in the church, it's not about our relationship outside of the church, outside of the body of Christ, who are non-believers. The first thing he's going to mention about when you are being persecuted, right, Okay, we're persecuted by people who are outside the church, right? And when we're persecuted, I want you to think and tell, instead of like, what happens when you're persecuted, right? You take revenge, right? You want to fight back. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be like the world. Do not conform to the world. Because that's how the world will refer. You attack me, I'm going to attack you back. So Paul says, instead of taking revenge, what you should do is if you think, renew your mind, say, I'm going to bless you. Okay, I'm going to bless you instead of taking revenge. And then he goes on our relationship with the government. When the, well, the government is probably one of the people that's going to persecute us. right? Now, when you have governments who kind of opposes us, what do you do? How does, well, how does the world respond? Well, we take up arms and rebel. Right? We, we're going to stand ground, whatever, right? we're going to kind of like, you know, overthrow the government or whatever. That's how the world operates. And Paul says, do not conform to the world, but by the renewing of our mouth, so what should we do? We're going to submit to those governing authorities. Subject yourself to it. Very different. Right? This is how we lay down our life in this world. And then now, the passage we're going to go to, right, starting from verse 8 to 14, then how about the rest of the people? Not the government or people prescribed, just people in general who are not believers. How do I, how do I relate to them? And that's the passage we're going to look at. So that's the context, right? You see the train of thought that Paul has. Okay, until I get this through, then I realize, okay, I think I know what Paul is trying to say now. Okay? So now I'm going to get to the passage today. But just to, again, give you a little bit more context, we'll start with verse 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. Okay? If you owe them taxes, so who do we owe taxes to? Well, first of all, government, right? But it's people who are outside the church. So the context is very clear that Paul is still talking about non-believers. Right? If you owe people tax, pay tax. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now see, for non-believers, we should honor them too. Right? Now, he already talked about honor before in chapter 12. Okay? where he says, for each believer, we should outdo each other's honor. So he's not repeating himself. Right? He's not saying honor and then honor again. He's because the context changed. Honor the people who are within the body of Christ, outdo each other's honor, but then outside the church, you are to, we are to honor them as well. Okay? Now, with that understanding, right? So I don't see why verse 8, I don't see any change of context. I think he's still talking about non-believers. 
Okay? Verse 8. Let no debt, right? The idea of being owed by first time. Give to everyone what you owe. Okay? Somehow in relationship to non-believer, the way we love those believers is the idea of being in debt. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So outside of the body of Christ, we are to love other people as though we're indebted to them. Okay? That's what's taught. So that's different, right? Again, I don't think Paul is repeating, so, okay, love one another. He's talked about love one another in chapter 12, if in the body of Christ. He's instructed, and that love needs to be genuine. And now he's describing our love outside the church being indebted to them. Now, the, the idea of being indebted, so I'm going to just spend a little moment here. Right? To me, right, that, that's when I first read it, I'm going, what does it mean to be indebted? The idea, right? Just, and then just all kinds of imagery came to my mind. Okay? I used to be an accountant. So when you talk about financial term, being in debt, of course, it plays a lot of things in my mind. What does it look like? Um, being in debt. Now, I know for you guys who are youth, you're younger. Are you guys in debt in any way? I don't think so, right? You guys don't pay. You guys don't have bills to pay, right? Kind of thing. So it might be different, right? The idea concept might be hard for you to understand. But for those of who own house, right? You bought your car. You know what it means being debt, right? Meaning what? You have to make a payment, okay? Do you have an option not to make a payment? Well, you do, but you really don't, right? In fact, you do it in a way that you don't even think about it. You guys think about like, oh, every month I'm going to pay my mortgage. You just do it. You don't even think about it, right? It's, it's like given, I'm going to make a mortgage payment. And you don't miss that payment. You just make it. You don't even think about it. I think that's part of the imagery that I think maybe God wants us to have when it comes to loving people outside the church. You don't even think about it. It's just something you just do as though you're in debt to it, right? Um, but this debt, though, I think most people still kind of, how deep this thing goes, the idea of debt. Uh, again, you young people, right? it's going to be young, but it's not just young, right? It's just people who are a little bit older. Uh, you're a single person, okay? You probably, I don't think, I truly understand what it means to be in debt. Even if you are married or dating someone, someone special in your life, I think you're still short of understanding what that debt is. I think a person truly will begin to understand what it means to be indebted is when you have kids. Now you know what it means to be in debt. See? <clears throat> right? Like when you're married, like, oh, I'm picking you right there. <laughs> when you're young, you're married, it's just kind of like, uh, your wife needs something, right? Oh, you love her, so you buy her. But then, like, that's, you don't feel like it, right? When you don't feel like it, what happens? Uh, no, I don't feel like rubbing your back. I'm too tired, you know? Whatever, right? you almost have an option. But when you have a kid, right? Your kid wakes up at what? Like, you say, oh, my goodness, what in the middle of the night? Have a hard time. What do you do? It's like, oh, no, I'm going to get up. Have to get up. Why you feel? See, now you begin to understand what it means to be in debt. It's the same idea of like a you know, married couple, you know, like a, or dating couple, right? If they get divorced, they'll probably never see each other again. But do you ever get divorced from a kid? No. You will always be their parents, always be there for them, right? Because you feel indebted to them. Now, now, flip that around, so this is how far I can go with this, right? You flip it around. Uh, so I don't feel this way. I'm a horrible son. I've told you that before. I'm a horrible son. I never feel that. But my wife, wow, she feels so indebted to her parents. How many of you guys feel that way? 
you feel indebted to your parents? Oh, you guys eventually will. Wait until you guys grow up, right? You guys go, yeah, I feel indebted to my parents, man. They're like, now here's a crazy question, right? Do you feel like you can ever, can every, can any kids ever repay the debt that they have for the parents? No way, no way, right? You will always feel indebted to your parents. Now I don't feel that way at all. Right? <laughs> I'm a horrible kid, but right? I'm an exception. But most of you feel that way, right? That's a good feeling. And again, I think this indebtedness is all that, right? It's like when God says that we, we have this mindset that we're indebted to the love to people. It's a way that, you know what? I can never make this payment in full. So in that sense, we will always, always feel like we have to love them. And it's like an automatic payment, right? You just do it. You don't even think about it. Kind of thing. Now, you have all this picture in mind of being dead. Now, when we read this, right? let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. Okay. That's the kind of love that Paul says we should have for people outside of the church. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Okay. So even non-believers have laws. Okay. Now, you notice the commandment that he cites. Notice there's no commandment to love God. You shall have no other God but God, right? The first, basically the four or five commandments. It's not unlisted. What is the list? Commandments, I believe, that even non-believer has, right? The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. I know today people, well, what's the big deal? But back in biblical time, right, in the Roman time, adultery was against the law, okay? You shall not murder, Right? I don't know any country that doesn't have this kind of, that law in it. You should not uh, murder. You should not steal. Same thing. Right? I don't know any country that says you do not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever co- otherwise. And Paul says, you know what? The human has so much commandments, right? much more than God. So he says, you, uh, what, and whatever other command there may be. Now, do you think God, Paul knows every commandment that God has laid out in Scripture? I'm pretty sure he does. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew every single commandment. But now he's basically saying, there's a bunch of commandments that I didn't even know, I'm not even aware of, but I know there's out there. But do you know human laws? There's, human has so much laws. Uh, so I did a research. Let me just look at Google, I kind of thing. Uh, so there's a, there's a site that talks about just the law on gun, gun control laws. <clears throat> there are over 20,000 laws relating to gun alone. Okay. And, and tax laws, right? They, people, someone has studied it and says, if, 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 the, if the IRS was to lay out all the laws that there is about tax, it would take over 10,000 pages to list out all the laws on taxes. That's how much law the human has. Now, what Paul is saying here, do you know that every commandment that human has, right? Even though some of them sounds like God's law, but they serve the same purpose as basically God's law, which is to not harm other people. That's what it is, right? Traffic laws, right? Why do we have traffic laws? It's so that we don't hurt people, right? It's not just to irritate someone like me, right, who hates driving laws. <laughs> it's just like, but it's to protect people. And so we understand. So Paul understands, right, human being, right? And, and really what they're looking for, right, is because humans don't have God in their life. So they don't know actually what love is. So the best way right, to protect each other, right, instead of loving each other, is to have a bunch of laws. 
and rules, right? Because outside of God, that's all people have from murdering each other is that they're a law against murder, against stealing. Otherwise, that's all we're going to do because we don't have God's love, right? And, and so the law makes sense. But see, the law that the human have, it's really people, or another, another way of saying, they need to be loved. People want to be loved. People want to live by this simple rule, one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Right? Isn't that what literally that your neighbor that you live with, right? the people that you know, people you work with, like that's what they want from life, is that people will just stop hurting them. And Paul says, there's one way to do this. Here's how we should live out that law for them. By loving them as though we're indebted to them. Right? We live like that, then every law that human has will be fulfilled. Because behind every law is this one simple rule. Can you love me as your neighbor, where you will do no harm to me? Right? And so that's the kind of love that we should have. This is the mindset. This is how we are to lay down our life for people outside of the church. Right? By renewing our mind, thinking that, oh, you know what? I am indebted to you in loving you. I'm going to love you no matter what, just like a father or mother to a child, right? Kind of thing. Uh, so that's fulfill the law. So that's the first paragraph. And that's actually the main point of the paragraph is to be indebted in your love for others. Now it goes on further. So Paul's going to drive it home, this idea, being indebted. And do this, do what? Love people as though you're indebted. Do this, understanding the present time. Okay, this is where the title comes in now. The Chinese time and borrow time. Okay. Do this with the understanding of the present time. Do you know the time that you're living in right now? Okay, understand this. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. Okay, tough verse to try to understand. <laughs> when I first read this, I said, I never read this before. How come I never read this before? This is the part I, I, I felt I've never read before. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. So at one time I was asleep. Okay. Uh, and then now, now it says, it's time to wake up. Okay, you guys who are asleep, time to wake up. Paul's saying this, like, time to wake up from your slumber. So when I was, how was I, how was I asleep? Well, before I first believed, right? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. When was the first time I believed? I became a believer. I first heard about Jesus. Seriously, no one ever told me about Jesus until I was at the age of 17. Okay, my sister was the first person to ever told, tell me about Jesus. Before that, I thought Jesus was just a cuss word. I didn't even know he was the name of a person. Jesus, you know, it's just a cuss word, right? Because you feel bad. And then my sister told me, Jesus is the son of God. Right? So the first time I heard that name, and then later on, she gave me a Bible, and then I read the Bible, I read the Book of Romans, and that's how I became a believer. And I accepted Christ, I was awoken from my sleep, finally. 
I was asleep in the sense that I didn't know that I was supposed to love one another. I didn't know God loves me. Why should I love other people? Right? I didn't know anything about love. But then I was awoken by God. But that was at age of 17. Meaning what? I'm already late in making the payment. I've been 17 years late in loving other people. So Paul says, have this kind of mindset. Not only are we indebted to love others, but I'm already behind in my payment. It's time for me to wake up from my slumber. You've been asleep, Peter, for 17 years. Well, unfortunately, I was probably asleep even longer than that. Because I think it came until a lot later, right, even in my Christian life. Right, until I come to a passage like this, maybe for some of you, you are now hearing God's word about this passage for the first time. That God is instructing you, hey, you need to live this way of life. Because of God's mercy, present yourself a body living sacrifice. Love others. Now that you heard, okay, it's time to wake up. Wake up. Okay? Because the day of salvation is nearer than it ever has been since you believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So here's another thing to think about. Not only are we late in our payment, but time is running out. Night is going away, and the day is coming. It's already here, meaning the day of salvation is coming. It's already here. In a way, right, time is running out. But knowing that, right, know that you are laying your payment, and that time is running out. So, right, it's important word, so, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desire of the flesh. And knowing that the time is coming, right? time is running out, how should we live? Will you gratify the flesh, right? the desires of flesh, or will you put on the armor of light? or to put on Christ. Now, what does it look like? Oh, maybe this will help. Uh, and I did this, right, uh, at Fresh Church. I, I told them, I want them to ponder on this question before I preach. If you know you have less than two months to live, you have only two more months to live, what will you do that time? Okay. Uh, actually, I'll be face guy. Actually, two part First of all, what do you think most people will do when they know that they have two months left? What do you think most people will choose to do? And then I ask, what do you think you will do if you know that you have only two months? I kind of different questions. And, uh, and people had discussions, those kind of thing, and then I came and preached, and then later on I found some of the answers. But of course, most popular answer people say, right, most people that have two months left, they're going to live out their dreams, whatever, right? They're bucket list, right, kind of thing. They, they would travel the world. That's probably the number one answer. Was, ah, I'm going to go places that I've never seen them before I die, that kind of thing. Some would put, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend all my money. We have a sitting bank account. I don't get to use it. Everyone's going to spend all their money as far as they're going to buy all the toys that they want. They're going to buy that new car and whatever, right? Some people, I'm sure, live out their sexual fantasy, whatever it might be, like right? the flesh. 
most people think, so Paul says, do you know that time is coming, right? We're running out of time. Do not live out your flesh. Do not conform to the world. That's what the world will do, right? If they know that the time is running out, they're going to just only think about themselves. How can they gratify themselves? See, if we think that, then we're just conforming to the world. We're just like everyone else. How does that live out our righteousness from God that God saved us by his mercy? How are we different? Right? So Paul's saying, like, no, don't think that. Don't gratify it, but put on the armor of light. What does it mean to put on armor? He t- tells us it's to put on Christ. To put on Christ is to put on the armor of light. When Christ was here, do you think Christ had the same mindset that Paul's instructing us today? I believe so. You can't get the help but get the sense right, as you read his story, the life story of Jesus. You ever feel like he felt you, you, like he was indebted to us to love us? Like, like he almost don't have an option not to love us? Like he has to make that payment? And he did it, right? He made the ultimate payment for us. Right? I think he did that because he felt indebted in loving us. And he knew his time was short. Right? And then he was already like going, getting late, right? Lots of people existed before he was born and stuff like Like he came kind of like, right, late kind of thing. And he was running out of time, right? He keeps saying, like, oh, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. I, need, I, gotta, I gotta fulfill the will of my God, the Father. Right? There's a sense of kind of urgency, right, in his life, what he has to do. That was Christ. And now Paul says, put on Christ. Right? We have to have that kind of mindset. We're, here, we're willing to lay down a life kind of thing. So and <clears throat> when I was preparing the sermon, I came across a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I love the story. I hope it's true. I think it's true. Okay? It's about an eight-year-old boy who has a sister dying of leukemia. Right, was diagnosed with leukemia. And, uh, and the doctor told the parents that we, the, the treatment we're going to have this for your daughter requires a blood transfusion. So we'd like to take uh, a blood test to see if you match your daughter. So they tested the father, it doesn't match, test the mother, it doesn't match, but then they test the eight-year-old boy. It's a perfect match. And so the doctor and the parents then talked to the Eight-year-old boy says, hey, you had a perfect match for your daughter, I mean, your, your sister, blood. Well, are you willing to give her blood, some of your blood to her? Right? And then he goes, I have to think about it. Can I give you an answer tomorrow? Right? And the doctor and parents say, sure. So the next day came after the boy woke up. The first thing he did was go to the parents and says, I thought about it, and I slept on it, and I decided that I want to give my blood to my sister. And the parents was overjoyed. It's great. And then they called the doctor. The doctor said, oh, you guys should come down. We should do this treatment as soon as possible. So they went down to the hospital. And they immediately strapped the boy into the bed. Right? They stuck the needle into his arm. And the sister and I next to her. And then he began to see the blood going from him into his sister. And as soon as that was happening, as soon as he saw the blood, the doctor noticed his countenance changed. And so he went up to him and says, hey, are you okay? Are you in any kind of pain? 
because it seems to be like you're in pain. He says, no, I'm not in pain. I just have a question. I said, what questions do you have? He says, how long does it take before I die? He has in his mind that when he was going to give his blood to his sister, that he was going to die. And he was willing to do it. See, that's the mindset I think God is instructing us to have. The question is not how long will I live here? It's more like Christ's question, like, when's it going to be when I die? Right? As an expression of my love for the people who are asking to be loved, kind of thing. You know, we live in a society, right? People are hurting. Like, every, it doesn't matter, right, what, what generation. Like, I'm an old guy. So back in the 70s, you know, that's when I was your age, back in the 70s, you know. And uh, we have our own issues back then, right? Back then we have uh, AIDS, we had to deal with AIDS. Like today you guys deal with COVID, that kind of thing. Right? They're kind of different things, but the same thing, right? Back then we have financial crisis, right? Banks going under, credit unions were going bankrupt. Right today, you know, you have you know all this dot com and all those like bit money currency, right? Different, different, but it's very similar. Right, we all have our issues. Okay, back then, right, we had the Black Panthers. We had to deal with gangs and stuff like that. You now today, you have racial prejudice, still the same. Right, racism's not going to go away. So, people as a pastor for many years, I've gone through different generations, and people always have those questions: How do we address all those issues? How do we address social injustice today? Right? That's the biggest question. See, I believe the word of God, right? God is instructing us. This is our best response to people's hurt and questions. Love them as though we're indebted to them. Love them as though you're already late in your payment. Okay? Love them because time is running out. We love them the way Christ loved them. We put on Christ where we lay down our life for them. And we will renew our mind in doing so. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, <clears throat> I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking up this morning. Father, I know we all live in a time, you know, in every year we have different challenges, different questions. I'm sure in this year as we go through it, People are going to ask us. People are looking for us to be the light of the world, to put on the armor of light so they can see that they are loved. And people are looking for that. And that's true of this year as the previous years. And so I pray that you give us uh, the urgency. Give us the burden in our heart to love others the way Christ loved them. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.